Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S. Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Politicus, the only podcast that talks about politics and things related from a Portuguese perspective. My name is Angela Samos, and I am here with my esteemed co-host, Denise Borges. How are you, Denise? I am great. I am also awesome to have the companionship of the almighty leader of the Portuguese community, <laughs> Angela Costa Simões. For those of you who don't know, that is her number one title. It's independently what official title might be in the organization or organizations. She's the <laughs> almighty leader. Right. I have a, I have a plaque that says it, a name plaque <laughs> that says that. You should, um, if you don't. <laughs> so today we are here with, I think, one of the youngest elected officials that we have in our community, regardless of state, Zachary Ramos. Zachary, welcome to Politicus. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. So we've known Zachary for a few years now. So you are currently on the school board for Gustine Unified School District. And for those of you outside of California who don't know where Gustine is, it's in the Central Valley. It's a very agricultural community. It's home to one of the largest Portuguese Holy Ghost celebrations in the state and actually well-known because it's the Our Lady of Miracles celebration. So also known for bullfights. And I mean, I would call it one of the... Uh, central spots for Portuguese-American culture in the state of California. So, Zachary, tell us a little bit about yourself, especially your age, because you are one of the youngest, I believe, and um, your path and how you got to be where you are today. Hi, so Zachary Ramos. I'm 23 years old now, turned 24 in April this year, but my journey in all of this started when I was just 19 and ran for mayor in my hometown here in Gustine. And just started with wanting to make a change and a difference from talking to business leaders and community organization workers and wanting to see a change to help our town. And unfortunately, I wasn't elected, but it was close. We managed to get one third of the vote, which was a big step up from past elections for that office. And after that election ended, I took a year off from politics and focused more on self-work and work on my literacy organization. But the school board came out on the second year of taking the break. I ended up bumping into the person that was currently sitting in the position that I was in, that I am in now for school board at the grocery store, just by happenstance. And we got talking about what my looks are for school districts and how I feel about certain projects. And from there, she had asked if I'd ever considered running for school board. And at the time, I hadn't. I had actually at that time was considering moving up to Davis to go work at the Capitol for one of the assembly leaders out there. But luckily after that conversation, I took it up and I put my name in the ballot to run for school board. And now today I'm serving my third year on the board very happily. That's awesome. So when you, when that person said to you, have you ever thought about running for office? How did you react to that? Like, were you like no way or was that exciting for you how did you react it was a funny moment because at first we had met each other in the parking lot because we had parked next to each other 
and she asked me about what district I live in, and I told her about it, and she went off, and I went off into the store, and then we ended up bumping into each other again in the store, and at that moment, she had asked me about the possibility of running, and I was very flattered because I have a lot of respect for this woman. Her name is Pat Rocha. She was the former board member whose seat I have now, and she had done a lot of great work, and I felt very happy because for her to see something in me to be able to take her position helped show to me that I must be doing something right in my community for her to have thought of me for her position. And with a name like Rocha, she's fellow Portuguese-American? Yes. Uh, and I, I Excellent. She's Italian. You're Italian or Portuguese? Yeah, she could have some Italian heritage. Uh, obviously, we are not all pure bloods, but with a name like Rocha, I would uh, I would love to know a little bit more about her. And so, tell us a little bit about the town of Gustine. And you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, it is uh, one of the larger festas. But talk to us about, I guess, the demographics. Are the, the Portuguese still a strong influence in that community? And what are some of the issues that are facing the community there? So some things like uh, Gustine still very highly populated Portuguese. We have very nice demographic. Uh, we have a large Hispanic population, large Portuguese population, and we're very happy with all the events we have going on. Like you mentioned earlier, us having one of the largest festivals out there. We get people that still come from all over to come visit us and see us, which always brings in a lot of great business for our local business owners and those neighboring to us. Some of the challenges that our community is facing, though, right now is we're trying to keep our downtown thriving and trying to find different ways to support our local businesses, especially after COVID hit. As we all know, many local businesses across the country had to close down. And that's something that we're trying to work on with our current business owners is helping them stay open and see how we can better target and market them. So that way we can make Gustine your destination on the way to your destination. Um, mm-hmm. So other things are going on is trying to work with local schools on getting kids more active and off the streets, making things safer for them. We're really trying to target on making Gustine a target area for you to want to move to because of how safe and clean we are. And just helping boost that image and message by working on projects to get that accomplished. You know, running for a school board and then, of course, getting elected to a school board, what did you do to prepare? Because um, school board is very specific. And I know that you've been working hard on your literacy project that you have had uh, for various years now. But what really were some of the steps that you took to prepare yourself to sit on a school board that decides a lot of the issues that have to deal with children's education, in your case, being a unified school district from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. To prepare myself for that, before I ran, I had about a good four to six months to prepare myself and better educate myself on the current issues that we're facing in the district and where I wanted to possibly take things in the future. And so to go through with that, I talked closely with the former district board member that was in that position, Ms. Rocha, and also talked to local parents in my district, local community leaders and business owners, and even friends of mine that are educators that still work for our district today on what are things that you're all noticing, what are things you'd like to change, and how can we affect that change. And once I really, once I put my name on the ballot and started really campaigning, 
I made it a point to at least once or twice a week, I'd go out on the campaign trail and hit every single house in my district, giving them information, flyers, talking to them face to face. And I had a friend of mine with me who was my campaign manager at the time. His name's Jose Flores. He would go out there with me and he would help me translate what I was saying in Spanish just so that way everybody could hear my message. I strongly believe that if you're going to do something and you know who you're going to be representing, it's best to have it where they're able to understand you fluently. So I always had a translator with me to make sure that my message came out clearly and I was able to hear from them as well. The whole campaign was based on an open-ear policy where if there was ever any questions or comments or ideas, I was always ready to hear them. And I always made myself open to the public with events to be able to ask them questions as well. And during the campaign trail, the local paper would ask questions on what are your goals for the district? And those goals were, you know, helping out with making sure that we had food safety, where kids that were hungry weren't going home hungry, or we were going to help make sure that all our children had access to STEM activities and learning opportunities. And now, even before I was elected, we were working on just exactly that with getting grant money for food security and also getting projects going to help kids out. And I think that's what really helped show to the parents in my district that Zach means it when he says he's going to get something done. I just don't believe in saying something without actually having something to back it. I'm not going to tell you we're going to get a STEM room put up at one of our school sites. I'm going to get it done and then tell you, hey, if your child goes to Romero, make sure they check out the STEM room. Because too many people say what they're going to do once they get into that position. They don't follow through. And look at what happens. I want to make sure that everybody's getting what they're told and making sure that our students have access to the best education they possibly can. For those people, uh, of course, following us uh, from various parts of the country here on Politicus, as Angela mentioned, it's a rural community in the central San Joaquin Valley. As about, according to the U.S. Census, uh, a little over 6,000 is the population of Gustine. And according to the same U.S. Census, about uh, has one of the largest as far as percentage, which is about 15% Portuguese. So you're talking about 1,000 people or so that are of Portuguese background. And it's interesting because such a small town hosts such a large Portuguese-American celebration that started, especially Our Lady of Miracles, as Angela mentioned. But, Zachary, the school board itself... And I know that school board members, uh, because of being in, in uh, a high school educator for 22 years before I moved on, it was um, I dealt a lot with school board members, especially uh, in, in different parts of my career. I was involved also in the California Teacher Association. And so one of the things is the the statewide convention uh, that that happens for the boards of different school boards. How do you feel that uh, attending those events help you? bring some things to a smaller community that sometimes it's hard to deal with uh, when it comes to, I mean, there's some pluses and, and, and minuses of a smaller community versus a community of 50,000 or 100,000 people. But uh, it seems like sometimes resources are limited to small communities. That is not always the case everywhere, but it happens a lot. Do you feel that these meetings and these conventions of these school boards has this helped you look into larger districts and see what they're doing and bring those ideas? Has that happened at all in your community? 
Absolutely. I actually sit as one of two members of the California School Board Association Delegates Assembly for Merced County. And as being a part of the CSBA organization and going out to those conferences, it's been a very eye-opening experience. From my first one to my most recent one, I was able to learn a lot about the different resources that are available to small districts, like how food was going to be out transported, local different legislation going on, and also working on opportunities for funding to get different programs into our district. Some of the challenges that I have seen without, without these conferences or at these conferences is the fact that we have larger districts that are bigger than us easily by thousands of students. And the challenge they have of trying to find staffing, trying to keep staffing on board with getting people to teach their kids, and especially with the sub shortage right now, trying to deal with that. And at our recent conference, I was actually able to be both a presenter and a viewer of presentations. And it was an eye-opening experience being able to represent not only a small farming community of Gustine at this thing, but also being able to represent a county at this organization. I was able to present on the work that we've been able to do with our board here in Gustine on progress with grants research and getting businesses to support our district. And when I was done and I had other board members around me from all across the state asking questions, one of the things that I noticed the most from them was they were asking, well, how does your board get along? How do you do this? And I was taken back by those questions because Gustine's board, we're all like a family. We all treat each other like a family with respect and love for one another and being uh, okay with an open ear and supporting each other's projects. And I had board members coming up to me saying that in their districts, they don't have that because either their board's too large to where you have board members caring more about their own image than the district as a whole's image, or you have people that are just trying to go with the flow of one meeting a month and there's no need to do anything extra. And at these conferences, when you have that idea in your head of, well, I'm just here because it's a free vacation and that's it they don't bring anything back to their district. Luckily for us, our superintendent goes, almost all of our board goes, and we're able to bring so much rich information back with us that we're able to utilize for programs and research studies and all this great stuff going on in Gustine. Indeed, yeah, sometimes, uh, and, and, and taking from that information, something that I know is uh, close to my heart and Angela's heart as well, and I, th I, th I believe yours as well, which is uh, Portuguese language uh, teaching. And sometimes I've uh, written extensively about this. It's better to be a small, a big fish in a small pond. And so in this case, in Gustine, because of the population being 14 or 15% of Portuguese background, it's kind of a pretty good sized fish in that pond. And so why do you think there's no Portuguese education or Portuguese language teaching, I should say, at, especially at the high school level, I know that uh, some uh, districts in California or throughout the United States have uh, high, have also elementary. Hillmar, of course, very close to you there, has uh, one of the exemplary programs for the entire nation. But especially at the high school where most students learn a foreign language, 
and we can, of course, this is not the debate to have here on this podcast, a bit too late at times, but um, that is where most students learn a for, uh, another language other uh, than English. If they're not, uh, even if they're English learners and they prefer a third language, which uh, it would be natural for ELD students who are learners of English and first language was Spanish to transition to Portuguese. It's kind of a no-brainer. But um, why do you think there's never been a Portuguese taught at the high school there? Something that was brought up to me when I was on the board asking about this, trying to get Portuguese language going at the high school, a uh, fellow board member mentioned about funding issues and trying to find someone to teach that could help out with the students. And I believe that if there was more opportunities through funding programs that could help with hiring a staff or helping locate teachers, that's something that could be beneficial to not only our high school, to other high schools around us that are interested in having such a language program to help teach Portuguese. Because right now what's going on, I know that there was something that was brought up last year, I believe, with possible grant funding or program funding for it. I believe that we should have Portuguese language classes in our high school as well as other languages should be taught. But it's one of the things of funding comes overall on trying to get such a program started requires funding. And there's not a lot of money right now out there that I personally have been able to locate trying to find that could help with creating such one. But I know that we have right now after school programs at all of our locations, our high school, middle school, and both elementary schools, that if one of our teachers that does speak Portuguese had an interest in hosting an after school program to help teach it, that would be something that could possibly be done. And I believe would be hopefully supported by all. But right now at this time, we don't like how you had mentioned but in the future, I know that it would be fantastic to have because, as you had said, Gustine is a big fish in this pond of trying to get the language out there. It's just getting the program started and locating the funding and hopefully getting some people that are willing to stand up and be willing to teach the language as well. Do you think as a board member, Zach, if a group of, of concerned citizens, let's say, you know, from your district and other districts, if a group of, of parents showed up at a board meeting, let's say 15 or 20 parents and said, we want Portuguese, and this is the reason and had, you know, uh, a good study and a good vision statement uh, for why and good reasoning why there should be Portuguese, especially because 15% of the population is a Portuguese background. And I'm sure you have a, a, a very large Hispanic population. So there's kids who are English language learners and they transition really well into, into Spanish. I always tell Spanish teachers, why put them in Spanish? They already speak the language. Give them the opportunity to be trilingual, which is something that they uh, would have an upper hand. But you think if there's like 15 or 20 parents, let's use that number, 25, that show up at a board meeting and are serious about this, would that be enough pressure? I don't want to use the word pressure because I believe that when we go to these meetings, it's all about communication and wanting to work together on such an objective. And I do think I always invite the public out to come to our meetings because it's thanks to those people that come out, the parents and the community members that come out to these meetings that let us know what they would like to see or what changes they would like. That helps us be better board members and knowing what we need to focus on. So I would absolutely invite members of the public to come out and share their concerns and why they would support such a program to hopefully help us better understand and better figure out what we can do. Because when enough people come together to highlight the importance of such a project, 
it does help open people's eyes to the reason of why we really should have such a program going on at our high school level. I'm curious if in the past there has been an effort to raise the funds to cover, to pay for a program in the community, right? Going out to the Portuguese community to say, hey, listen, do you feel it's important? And, you know, let's have a fundraising effort to fund a program because, and Denise, you can talk to this, but, you know, once a program is up and running and it's demonstrating success, then you have better chances of getting money or funding from the state or, or even the city, you know, other resources, uh, not just the community, because it's it's showing to be such a successful program. So I'm curious what efforts in the past there have been to raise the funds, or has it just been sort of a situation where, well, we don't have the money, so I guess we're not going to do it, you know? I'm just curious uh, if anything has worked or not worked in the past, or do you know? <laughs> we have had uh, members of the public in the past, before I was on the board, ask about having such a program at our school, especially with Hillmar being so close and them having one, but there hasn't been, from my knowledge, any group or any single person bringing up the idea of helping with raising funds for this. It's been mainly some groups asking about it or people wanting it to happen, but no one ever offering a solution or an idea on how to raise the funds for it. It's been more of a trying to tell us and then are telling the board at the time what they would like to see and then the board looking into it and not seeing any kind of possible funding for it or work for it and just going back to, well, this is what happened and that being where it lied. And have we ever or has there ever been like an official request to the state or to another program? School boards, Angela, have the the autonomy to, to decide. And usually, as Zachary knows, it comes from the educators themselves. Nine out of ten times, the school boards can, uh, Zachary, uh, you can elaborate on this. I mean, the principal or even a department chair, the world language department chair, can present a new program, especially if he or she can have, uh, you know, someone on staff teach it. Usually, nine out of ten times, the school boards will not negate on that because if there's someone that speaks Portuguese and can teach it and maybe you know he or she is teaching math or social science or ag and uh, he or she can teach one course of Portuguese I'm sure boards uh, in my experience throughout the valley is boards will obviously say yes you know when there's 15% mm-hmm. of the population so there's other ways uh, correct me if I'm wrong Zach but usually the principal has a say so and kind of guides this process through so exactly how Denise has mentioned is how, you know, if there's a department head or the principal sees a program or finds something that could work for the school site, they could put it onto the agenda, have them present it sure. to us. And after that, it goes to if the board approves it or not approves it. As I've been on the board the past two years, I haven't had such a thing brought to me on the Portuguese language, but it would be greatly appreciated if either one of those heads were able to find something for our district that I'm sure would go over really well with the community that is Portuguese speaking, because I know that there are family members that are of my own family and neighboring friends of family that would love to see Portuguese language taught in our high school. And even maybe at younger ages too, because studies have shown that if you help teach a language to a child in their younger years and work up with them throughout their, you know, high school, middle school, elementary school career, 
if you get them in elementary school and work with them forward on that language, not only do they get a good grounding of it, but they're able to speak it more fluently. They're able to use it more in conversations and they have a better know-how than just learning it the four years of high school they take it. And that's something that when it comes to language programs, be it Spanish or Portuguese or any language program, I love to see it taught at the younger levels and follow through with them through their education career. Because I know that when I was in high school trying to learn Spanish, it wasn't the best for me because I had already just gone through everything else. I wasn't prioritizing learning this other language. But if I would have gotten that opportunity to learn it at a younger age and follow through with it, I would have wanted more. I would have wanted to expand my palate on the language. And so hopefully we can find a program for Portuguese that can not only just be for high school level, but could potentially follow through with elementary to middle school if we could find such a program that could work for our district. Indeed. Um, well, I, I'm not here to pitch a product, but <laughs> if I may, we have something at Fresno State. I'll send it to you, Zach. It's called Pathway Pathway to Portuguese for Spanish Teachers. So we can take one of your Spanish instructors, and this is open to all districts. Uh, we're going to try it in the Central Valley first and see how it succeeds. We can take a Spanish teacher. We take them for two years, a uh, two-year program, uh, summertime mostly, uh, but also some courses on Saturday morning. And uh, he or she will be trained to pass the, the, the statewide exam to, to teach Portuguese. And then the school district commits to that uh, and commits to allowing that teacher to start one class of Portuguese one after he or she has been approved and passed the test. And so it's a pathway for Spanish teachers to teach Portuguese because we can only do this and kind of Angela kind of follows the same for those who follow uh, Politicus, and hopefully we have a large family following Politicus every single episode. If you listen to our last episode, when we talked to the young man, um, André Martins, who was a content uh, manager, uh, creator for the political sphere, and he was telling us that um, that our pathway forward in lots of politics is uh, partnerships with the Hispanic community. This is case in point. Tulare Joint Union High School District has, I believe, 425 students learning Portuguese. Over 220 of those are not of Portuguese background. They are Hispanics that that speak Spanish perfectly and want to learn Portuguese. So I think that's something that uh, school board members like Zach and every and everyone else, if there's a program available, and this one now with Fresno State will be one way forward. But you know, I think that I believe in all, and, and also to answer your question, Angela. As uh, in Gustine, uh, for example, with 15% of the population near 15, 14 point something, according to the census, are Portuguese background, they're taxpayers. And they have the right for their kids to learn another language. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that language can be Portuguese. We shouldn't do community fundraising for that because as taxpayers, we have the right to, the, to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that if we look at some of the programs that have been successful throughout California, they're all programs that basically started with the school districts, with the community college, with the college paying for the instructor and not, we have one or two in California. We still have one, not to name the city, but it's a very well-known city in California that has Portuguese at a college level and it's been supported by the community and it hasn't gone anywhere. Hmm. I don't know where to go with that. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a bummer to hear that it hasn't gone anywhere. Is that, well, why do it, you think that it is? hasn't gone anywhere because the community can only pay so much and any professional educator wants to have any professional anybody 
you know, as Zachary knows, you know, there's uh, teachers are in the profession because they believe in it. It's not because the big, there's not, there's no teacher out there making four or $500,000. So they're making, you know, uh, a decent salary, but they're not getting rich, but they want benefits and they want their salary and, want, and they want their retirement. And usually when these programs are subsidized by the community, they're contracted from year to year and they get no benefits, mm-hmm. no, no retirement, nothing. And most people want a little bit of you know, consistency in their lives. That's why they go into, uh, you know, that kind of a, of a profession. And the other thing is, if you if we get school districts, whether it be school districts or community college boards districts, or even universities, if we get them used to the community paying for something, then they'll never pay for it. And we as an ethnic group have as much right as all the other ethnic groups. And then the community also in the long run, usually doesn't support something like that. And it it shouldn't have to. Language teaching, whether it be, and especially the fifth or the sixth most spoken language in the universe, uh, you know, or I don't know about the universe, but on this planet, should have funds allocated by the state. And I think our way to do it is these partnerships with the Hispanic community. But that's something we can do in another political podcast, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, not to put you on the spot, Zachary, or anything, but I think you might be a hero if you could get this off the ground, Augustine, and make it happen, even if it was just one class. So I don't speak for Dinesh, but I, I think uh, he would probably agree. We we are pledging our support here and whatever you would need from us, uh, whether it be resources or guidance or, you know, examples of whatever it is. But I think this is a, a prime opportunity to get something started there and and can serve as a great example for other communities nationally right on on the process and and how to get it going especially when it seems like it's been an impossible task over the last years so yeah so i'm pledging pledging our support here zachary <laughs> and and hoping that you can become the hero of uh, the gustine community in and getting portuguese into one of the schools greatly appreciate it thank you both Indeed. Well, we are, so the the program a pathway, I'll get that information out to you because I think it'd be something that uh, partner up with us with the Hispanic community. Thank awesome. You. Well, with that, we have come to the end of our of our episode. But Zachary, at twenty three, you certainly are an inspiration, and I hope that other young people out there listening and that are thinking about or think to themselves, I would love to run for office someday or get involved, but I'm too young or I don't have enough experience or anything like that, uh, hear your story and are inspired and encouraged to say, you know what, even if I am young, but if I have the passion and the drive and the want, then uh, I can make it happen. So thank you for your work. Thank you for jumping in at such an early age. I, I see a illustrious career ahead of you. Maybe, you know, we'll be Congressman Ramos here pretty, you know, in the next uh, decade or so. Um, that way Only if he gets Portuguese and Gustine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, then then we'll have five uh, Portuguese congressmen from California alone. That would be amazing, right? Anyway, so uh, yes, Zachary, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. And thank you to all of our listeners out there who have stuck with us through this episode. And I hope you enjoyed it. Please share this episode with friends and family is the best way to get more people in our community involved in the conversation because we do as a community need to become more civically active and and participate more so that we have the representation that we deserve. So please share this episode, subscribe to the podcast channel, the Palkus podcast channel, if you haven't already. And if you are involved in 
in politics in any way or sit on a school board or uh, work for a municipality or, or anything and would like to be a guest on our podcast or know somebody who should be, please email us at palcus at palcus.org. And we would love to have you as a guest and hear your story. And with that, thank you, Dinesh, as always. Thank you. Thank you, thank Zach. You. Thank you, Zachary. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese-American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese-American community at large. To learn more about Palcus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus at palcus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palkus.